Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Today we are talking about the movie Sinister from 2012. That's the year the world ended. Uh, No, 2020 is the year the world is ending. I mean, yeah. But the Mayans thought it would be 2012. Yeah, they were off. Anyway, Sinister is a movie about Ethan Hawke, who is a true crime writer, and moves his family into the house where true crime happened. Mm -hmm. And he finds a box of home movies. He starts watching them. He learns that there's a whole lot of other true crimes that are connected. And chaos ensues. Yeah. Ghost story. Haunted house. It was a ghost story in haunted house. That's interesting. For some reason, I didn't feel like this was a classic ghost story. But when I think about it, it absolutely oh, was. It really was. It was. It falls into the category, which is so common. Is definitely a ghost story. But they, I don't know if they actually called it this, but it was a demon. You know, it wasn't a ghost. It was some otherworldly entity that doesn't count as a ghost. Right. It was Bagul. 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 Don't say it three times. Too late. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bagul is a demon who creates ghosts. Like, he takes kids into his otherworldly realm, and then they're trapped there. But first, he possesses them and makes them do really heinous, terrible things. Yeah, it's that was kind of interesting that the kills were these kind of like elaborate, not not like jigsaw situations, but like they really, you know, set up. I don't know. They they would tie people up and then, I mean, I guess they weren't super elaborate. Like they tied a bunch of people up by the pool and then dragged them one by one into the pool where they drowned because they were unable to move. They were tied up. I know what you mean, though, because it was more elaborate than it needed to be. Yeah, it was, It felt like, you know, it's not just a ghost. A ghost would make people jump out a window or something, but this was like a serial killer. Well, and they weren't ghosts at the time that they committed the no, murders. they were kids. straight up kids. Like, they were just possessed. Yeah, I mean, I guess possessed. They were just possessed kids. But rather than doing something simple like, you know, poisoning their parents or stabbing their parents or even choking them, like... The whole, like you said, like the tree thing and the cutting the branch and having yeah, the branch be what, like a, you know, provided the counterweight. Speaking of mousetrap, that was basically how mousetrap works. <laughs> the game. Yeah. <laughs> With less murder, hopefully. Yep. Depending on the family, I guess. Yeah. Like it was it was very elaborate. And, and that's the part that was so upsetting. Like, I mean, it would be upsetting enough to have a child murdering their entire family. Like, that is an upsetting concept. Yeah. But then it was done in such horrific ways that it just amped the horror up for me. That was something I really noticed. These were snuff films he was watching. So, like, for each of these murders, we would watch him watching a movie of the murder. Mm -hmm. And it's the combination of it was silent, you know, silent film, and... 
you know, flickery old film stuff and shot, you know, handy cam found footage business, along with the fact that it's a true crime story, supposedly. I mean, not true crime for us, but true crime for him. Yeah. True crime in the fake world. And seeing him sitting there watching it, being horrified, almost ready to puke, basically, that all combined to make it feel much more horrific than this kind of stuff is in, in movies, usually. Like, it really felt real. I thought exactly the same thing. Like, the girl who kills her family by running them over with the lawnmower. That was pretty awful. Like, that in and of itself is a horrible, horrible idea, right? Like, even just saying it out loud feels gross. But I watched House of a Thousand Corpses (laughs) and was fine with it. I looked away while he was watching this film. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if it showed any of the actual film and her actually murdering her family because... When it got close, when I was like, oh, they might actually, nope. And I like had to look away. I've watched horrible, horrible, gruesome, gory movies with you. And this one was one of the few where I have, there have been things that I actually didn't want to look at. Yeah, it was like a, it was like seeing real film of a crime. Yeah. And that one was really effective. Like it was all just dark and you just, she's looking down and, well, the camera's pointing down at the lawnmower, and it and she basically just has going. like a flashlight. Yeah, and you it's just in see the dark. One circle of light, and you just see it going, and it's just going over grass, and you're like, well, "What's going to happen?" And you start to realize what pretty much has to happen. Uh-huh. And then what I did see is that um, a person comes into frame, and it's like real quick. And I don't think they show anything. I think it jumped over to show his face and how he was freaking out about it, which was perfect. That was very effective. Yeah. Well, the other thing that this movie did well in terms of horror for me was there were lots of, you know, it was one of the, it was like a haunted house ghost movie, obviously. Like there were lots of bumps in the night and weird people, sounds of people walking in the attic where there shouldn't be people. And You know, there were just lots of things and like he would wake up in the night and he'd walk around or he'd fit, he'd be in his office and he'd hear something and he'd be walking through his house in the dark. Yeah. And like the combination of the lack of lighting and the weird noises and the insane music that they put (laughs) behind things. Yeah, there was some very unique music. It was the kind of music, it wasn't just that they picked music that was spooky it was music that was created to cause a horror reaction in your brain. Like the dissonance and the lack of rhythm and that like everything yeah. that about it was designed to mess with your mind's comfort level. The one I really noticed was when the when they were just burning the car and it was just the same sort of droning thing over and over mm-hmm. that was dissonant and yeah, mm-hmm. it was it really stood out. Like, it reached into your lizard brain and was like, bad, bad, bad. Yeah, it it wasn't just, this is a scary thing. It was, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. This is, something's going wrong here because music shouldn't be like this. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I feel like that was very effective. Like lots of movies try to use shadows and dark and whatnot to create scariness. And usually I'm just annoyed because I can't tell what's going on. Like I'm like, it's not scary if I can't see what's happening. Yeah. This used darkness. And there were some scenes where you really couldn't see much of what was going on, but they used it very effectively. And they used the minimal bits of light very effectively as well. So this is what we're talking about. Like this whole review so far. The scariness, Mm -hmm. which we never talk about with the movies. Mm -mm. And this one, I guess it did it for you because it did it for me, which Mm -hmm. has not been a thing ever. First helpful fact is we watched this pretty late at night. It was dark and we were in the dark, had as few lights as we could. It's hard because you have to take notes. But there was stuff that really got me. Like the one I really liked was when he watched back the footage of himself falling from the attic mm. and he's like steps by through it frame by frame and a bunch of little hands grabbed onto him and pulled him down. I mean, it's dumb, but it's cool. This whole movie was all really basic, obvious ghost stuff, mm-hmm. but it was really well executed. So it worked. And like, there were times when he's walking through the house and he's hearing noises and it's the ghost kids, but it might just be the house settling yeah. He's walking around, and at one point, it, there's like a close-up of his face looking, and then bam, all of a sudden, to his side, looking at him, is one of the ghost kid's faces. Yeah. And it just like appears and stares at him, and he's just obliviously, you know, but <laughs> nervously looking into the dark, trying to figure out what is that thing that's making the noise. He doesn't know that face is there. I was legitimately afraid for him. I'm like, dude, she's right there. <laughs> Get yeah, out of the way. The yeah. Funny. It's funny to me that you felt the same way because while I was watching it, I had the thought like, oh, this movie is actually scary. I know. Movies have not worked for me like this. I don't even know. Maybe, maybe there was like one last year. I wouldn't know which one, but you know, it's like, Out of 31 movies, there's one. Mm -hmm. And this one did the job. Even the good ones. Even ones we really enjoy aren't necessarily... We don't enjoy them because they're scary. Yeah. This one... Yeah, this one was definitely a standout in that regard. Story-wise, I also felt like it stands out, certainly stands out from the movies we've seen so far this year. But, I mean, there are a very few movies that have cohesive... Horror movies that have really cohesive plots where the plot is important. Yeah. And maybe that's part of, I don't know, maybe that's part of why it was scarier. I I honestly couldn't tell you why <laughs> this movie was so much scarier than other movies. We've watched other movies in the dark before. That I, I don't know, think that's it. I think it. that helps, though. It helped, for sure, but I don't think that was the difference. And I can't put my finger on an, any aspect of it that is completely different from all the other movies we've watched. Like, yeah. I don't know. They Maybe it's just... All the little things lined up exactly right. Yeah. I, I really feel like the uh, movie reels with him watching them so you identify with him, that stuff mm-hmm. all really worked. But yeah. I also think that it has to do, like, I felt like he did a really great job making me relate with him because I could see how watching someone else watch home movies could not, like... <laughs> Even like the concept of yeah. that, if someone had said, oh, this is a movie about a guy who watches home movies of <laughs> scary things, I'd be like, mm, no, thank you. Yeah. 
but he really did express those emotions of horror but in a realistic way yeah and then like when he's fighting with his wife i thought that was some of the most realistic arguing spouses that i've seen in in a movie in a very long time yeah i could see that they were not just not just flipping out and they kind of were screaming at each other but didn't work it out exactly but let it go a little right they're yelling at each other in the way you yell at someone that you love but you are really angry with like yeah they weren't, you know, oh, lots she of should times. Have been so much more angry. <laughs> yeah, she should have. She was. She was holding it back. It, it was impressive. No, but like lots of times when there's this idea that if if two people are angry with each other, they get mean. Like yeah. in movies, that's what happens is they get mean. And these guys, they were angry. The emotions were high. They were yelling. But they weren't being mean to each other. They were. St- there was still that understanding of you're my person, I'm your person. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna work this out. But I'm really, really angry at you right now. <laughs> like you messed up. I. It was just. It was very realistic to me. Yeah. Speaking of very realistic, this might be the single most realistic use of computers in a movie I have ever seen. In movies, what they always do with computers is they, like, record a video of what's going to happen on the screen and they just play it and the person has to pretend to move the mouse or whatever. I'm pretty sure if this guy was just using this computer and, like, he had these video files that he could click on. Like, it just, it was, every part of it was completely real. It was so (laughs) weird. And it makes me so mad when they're not. Yeah. I was very happy with that. So I didn't notice that to that extreme because i mean i i don't yeah i don't have the same relationship with computers that you do and you don't know how a mac works i don't really know either but it sure looked right yeah when i think about it it did and there was a point where he was watching some part of it and then he clicks on a thing and it's i and i had the thought i'm like oh now we're gonna do the zoom and enhance thing yeah but it didn't and it popped up like the the iPhoto adjustment tools yes. and change the contrast. And but but it was realistic, like you said. It was a yeah. thing you really can do with a computer. <laughs> it wasn't magic. Also, so he sees Mr. Boogie or what ends up being um Bagul for the first time in one of the films. Yeah. And he like stops the projector and he goes up to the you know sheet yeah. that he's using as a screen and he's like looking at it and it burns out the film right starts the projector on fire a little bit and and then he goes and he's like researching he's like googling how to (laughs) how to edit how to edit super 8 film and he's like splicing the film together and again i was like oh okay now we're gonna he's gonna be able to see that shot again even though it (laughs) It burned burned up that piece of the film like that shot is gone but he couldn't like he and that was his frustration was he put it together he couldn't get back this thing he wanted to look at. So again, it was it was about the realism. Yeah. It, I almost think that's part of it, is the movie never, that I can think of, betrayed us in the realism department. We were never mm-hmm. like, well, that's not right, which happens in every movie. It doesn't even have to be horror. Not in ways that weren't explainable. Like, yeah. the scorpion in the attic. Okay, it was like, was... okay, that's a scorpion like the size of a crab. Like, that's yeah. a scorpion you find... 
it was like it was from the set of the mummy but then it that it wasn't really there i mean it was really there but it was like yeah it was the demon had put it there like it was it was a supernatural which is totally real that happens all the time with demons yeah obviously no like that and the snake and like the stuff that didn't make sense or didn't seem realistic was explained because it was demon which okay yeah that's fine i get that yeah it just it never broke and so it worked like it Mm -hmm. got pulled out of it by things that didn't make sense which the computer could have been or anything any of those things the way they argued all of those Mm -hmm. parts that were so real that might be the secret to making Mm -hmm. good horror is Mm -hmm. you follow reality except where you want to cheat yeah Set the rules of your universe and follow them. Actually, it's follow. Like, not that complicated, but it's amazing how many stories don't do that. I was impressed by the number of red herrings that they put into the movie without them feeling forced and fake. There was a lot of misdirection toward the sun is going to be a problem. Yeah. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite things was the very first time he's hearing noises and he's looking around (laughs) and there's a thing in a box and, you know... The box moves. Oh, the box is moving. And I'm like, what's in the box? I'm expecting a cat. What's in the box? Exactly. I'm expecting a cat. I'm expecting some, you know, I know something is going to jump out at me. And all of a sudden, what it looked like to me at first was one of those possessed, you know, bending yeah. backwards girls like coming out of a box and I yeah. and I was like okay with it. I mean, <laughs> it was it startled me, but I was like, yep, that makes sense. Obviously his house is haunted. He has some kind of possessed girl in a box. That okay. It's totally natural. But it turned out that it was his son who has night terrors. And, like, it was all perfectly well explained and then followed through on it. It's not like it was the only time that that happened with his son. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't the first time it had happened in the story. But also the next morning, you know, they were talking about it. And he's like, yeah, that's not even the weirdest place we've found you before. Right. Once he realized it was his son, he's like, oh, all right. You know, this is fine. Like, he was not scared anymore. I was creeped (laughs) out. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Well, and we know that he's having (laughs) night terrors because there's a demon in the house. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, one thing that was problematic for me in the story, not maybe not problematic, is that by maybe halfway through the movie at most, maybe even a third of the way through, I knew it was the daughter that was the problem. Like, I got the missing kids thing and this daughter is going to be bad. Yeah, I I think I suspected the daughter very early on because... I was seeing the pattern in the films that it seemed to always be the youngest child. Oh. So I was like, oh, well, the daughter's, you know, it's going to be the yeah. youngest well, child. Well, and that, that's the other thing about that is that they kept saying, you know, oh, that one kid goes missing. And it was like immediately, duh, that's who's doing the killing. The, the missing right. kid is the killer. And they never even suggested that, but it was so obvious that that would be the case. So the theory that I had, and I did come up with this theory fairly early on, um, and I was mad at him for not seeming to put the pieces together. I was yeah. like, dude, all the pieces are here. Like, catch up. <laughs> that clearly it had something to do with the youngest kids. Like, the youngest kids were somehow related to what was going, you know, the deaths. But I was sort of at that point still thinking that maybe the kids were being taken and then because there was significant chunks of time between the the different incidences. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so the first kid got taken and then was raised up into some kind of killer 
and then was used to kill the family. And then they took the youngest kid of that yeah. family and raised them up. And it's so, like, I was assuming that they were, that it was still an in reality thing. Sure. The kids were aging with their kid, with their kidnappers and then becoming yeah. part of their like kidnapping crew or something. That's a totally possible. But again, they didn't consider it. <laughs> No, it was one of those, this was one of the few movies where the actual movie was more interesting. The plot that they came up with was more interesting than the plot that I was hoping that they mm, would be that's from funny. the beginning. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, but that that's what kind of made the ending frustrating was like, I mean, part, part of it was in the very end, he's sitting there watching the movie, the extended cut of the movie, and he's seeing that it's the kids and he's kind of concerned about it but he's also sort of just falling asleep watching it i'm like come on dude do something not realizing that he was drugged so it's not his fault that was my fault yeah but it was um it was disappointing that he wasn't you know like the deputy called him and he wasn't like i don't know let's run around and do crazy things now he was like oh let's just investigate a little more you know the ending was disappointing i think the Deputy so-and-so was another one of those red herrings where there were things that the deputy said where I was like, what is up with him? Like, what yeah, does he, he know known some stuff. that he's not saying? Like, I don't understand. There's something going on here. And that never came to fruition. Like, with the son, at least there was a reason why, like, the distraction actually made sense within the story. There was a reason for it. I just misunderstood it from the beginning. And I was supposed to, but that's fine. Yeah. Whereas the detect- or, uh, the deputy, I think it was a distraction. We were supposed to misunderstand. But then there was never... The- he was nothing. He was just <laughs> a small town deputy who happened to be interested in true crime stories and wanted to help. Like, there was nothing interesting about him at all. And so then I'm like, well, why did you give me all these clues that he was being creepy? Like, why was he being so weird? Who says snakes don't have feet? (laughs) I mean, I feel like he was kind of a comic relief character because he was pretty ridiculous. He was, but it was done in such a way that it was like, this dude is really creepy. There's something up here. And then there was nothing up. And I was disappointed. Yeah, yeah I don't know. He was very cartoony. Um, I, I wrote that he reminded me of Eureka, the show. Because he seems like <laughs> yes. somebody from that show. Yes, a combination of like like actually trying to do things and accomplish things, but also being borderline incompetent, but yeah. not really, I don't know, funny for sure. But I think that's part of why the ending was disappointing to me because I kept waiting for the, especially when he kept trying to call and he had information and then it was just like, like you said, it was just, eh. Yeah, I don't know. He was, I guess he was overwhelmed at that point, but it was just weird that he didn't suddenly go, oh no. I see what's going on. I got to do something. Right. He packs his entire family up in the middle of the night and books it out of that previous Which house. Which is another cool thing about this, that it's that they did that. In yeah. every other thing, they just never, ever leave. Yeah. But he did that, at, you know, as soon as he realized that there was danger, it was like immediate action. And then the deputy calls and is like, oh, but you just walked into the trap. Like, you accidentally, like, yeah. made this happen. And he's just like, all right, well, I guess that's that. I guess, that's I guess we're going to die. It's 2020. We might as well give up. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you, Ellison. I do. Ellison Oswald. 
And they kept calling him Mr. Oswald, which was funny because we just watched the All Be Gone in the Dark miniseries about Patton Oswald's wife, Michelle, who writes true crime stories. It was interesting. True crime stories. Yeah, sorry. Yes, <laughs> that's the sad part of that, that story. That is the sad part of that story. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of it was interesting, and I definitely kept thinking about her and her process and. And how, like, Ellison, the character, like, it's clear, especially in the argument with his wife, and a lot of the things that his wife says, like, his job messes him up. Like, when he's deep into these crime stories, it's it's not good for your brain to, Mm -hmm. to get all down in all of this crime and badness and whatnot. And that's obvious in his character. And that kept reminding me of, like the struggles that Michelle McNamara had and, you know, yeah. how it was clear from the documentary that we watched that the same thing happened. Like she would kind of withdraw from her family and she like had to self-medicate and a lot like Ellison was with his drinking and like his wife was even like, it's so early in your process for you <laughs> to be like reaching for the whiskey bottle already. Like yeah. that rang very true. Yeah, it was Interesting, because this was eight years before people would have known about that. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. I mean, um, I think it's probably something that happens. Yeah, I think it's very realistic. Crime. Uh, that was the one thing that I was kind of mocking in my head was this idea that the true crime author goes to the house. He's, he wants to do his investigation and he just finds a box of videos and just starts watching them. And it's like, here's everything. Like, he's not. Investing, he never goes to the library. He never looks anything up. He just keeps watching these movies. Well, he does contact the one professor. Yes, Vincent D'Onofrio. He told him to. Yes, um, yeah, he does contact the professor and get some information, but not a lot. And I sort of felt like when the professor was telling him things, I feel like at least some of it, I was like, yeah, we already figured that out. Like. Yeah. Why are you here? Well, he was very the exposition guy. You know, he was supposed to give us the background, but we didn't need it. We had enough. Yeah. I mean, I guess we would have never known the guy was called Bagul. I guess. So that was one of the places where I think pre-2020, I would have interpreted this as the Vincent D'Onofrio bits were pre-recorded and Ethan Hawke was <laughs> having a hard time timing his lines right. Like they just yeah. weren't quite jiving. That's what I would have assumed pre-2020. But now that I have so much experience with Zoom calls, yeah, that also rang as very true that they kept kind of talking over each other. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to communicate that way. Again, Perfectly realistic use of a computer. Yes. Amazing. Very strange. Not just a computer, like technology. Yes. Ratings. Well, as everyone has heard by now, I really like this movie. And it was really scary, which is really something. That's kind of amazing. It wasn't awesome. It wasn't like any kind of game changer because it was really just a ghost story. Like it was just basic but it was very well done so you know i'm not gonna give it a super score it's not some crazy game changer like uh the endless or resolution which is related to the endless and those are both (laughs) amazing and everybody should watch them over and over and be caught in a time loop just watching them over and over it was no tigers are not afraid it was not but it was really enjoyable. So for me, this movie deserves four and a half paints in the hallway out of five. 
Definite winner. Okay. The final note that I made when we fin- as the credits were rolling on this was that it's a very simple premise with a lot of window dressing. Yeah. And I mean that in a good way. Like, this is a great example of how you don't have to have a convoluted story. Yeah. You don't have to do anything, like, even all that unusual or new to do something well. You just have to tell it in your own way. And I think the people who wrote and directed this movie managed to do just that. They took a very basic premise of a demon possessing children, making them kill their families. Like, that's all there is to this movie. Yeah. But they made it like they brought in interesting characters they put it in an interesting setting they did everything you know they did all the mechanics of making a movie in such a way that it all came together for me like it really I was very impressed by it and for it to have an impressive story and acting and all of those other things and actually be scary in you know like t- that I felt it while I was watching it yeah I am very impressed with this and it had touches of things that were not necessarily funny but like quirky interesting like mm-hmm. the the punny titles on the super yeah. 8 films like house painting like they were they they did a great job of or they really put time into making sure that the titles looked like something innocuous before you knew what they meant. Yeah. Hanging in the yard with the family. Yeah, that was one. There was a barbecue one. Pool party. Like, they were innocent names until you knew what happened, and then they were really horrific names. Like, it was it was great how they were able to, like, take things that you thought were scary and make them not scary and things that you thought weren't scary and make them scary. Like, him falling yeah. through the ceiling, that alone is scary to me because that's one of my fears. Like, I don't like to go in the attic because yeah, I am sure... Yes, I'm sure I'm going to fall through. So that alone was scary. And then he's watching it back and you're like, oh, and now demon children forced him to fall through. <laughs> Great. Something Great. else for me to be afraid of in the attic, you know? It it just it was it was very well done. I was very impressed by it. So I am also going to give it four and a half paints in the hallway. Um nice. I agree, doesn't quite rate a five, but this is definitely up there. And this is one I would recommend that people watch. Like if you like horror movies, I think people will like this movie. I suspect it has kind of a broad appeal. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a fun, scary time, which mm-hmm. is cool. Mm-hmm. Don't get that enough. It's honestly, it's one that I might end up watching again at some point. Not because it needs to be watched again to pick up on new clues. Like, it's not deep like that. No. But just because sometimes you go back and you watch a movie that you watched before because it was fun to watch. You know? I would rewatch this the way I would rewatch, like, Ragnarok. Oh. (laughs) All right. That's it for today. Yeah. Tomorrow will be a brand new day. Will it? I'm pretty sure it will. Pretty much every day has been exactly the same day. Well. I sort of feel like I'm stuck in some kind of Groundhog's Day movie and I just haven't figured it out yet. That would be weird, huh? Imagine if we were both stuck in the loop, we might never figure it out. We'd just be like, oh, it's another day. Every day the news is like, yep, don't go outside. And we're like, all right. (laughs) Probably happened. Which means nobody's ever going to listen to this. It's okay.
I would re-rob. I would re. <laughs> Robert re-rob Rabaraka Abraham. <laughs> yeah, me too. Scoob. <laughs> I would re. <laughs> I would rewatch Ragnarok anytime. Well done. 